Bolivia. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I want to thank John for asking me and Mickey for also allowing me to be of service to you guys tonight. Um, A lot of you know me, and I've been coming to OA for 21 and a half years, and, uh, you know, tonight I'm nervous, I guess because it's being recorded, Um, but that's not really a, uh, a reason to not trust my higher power. And I was um, getting ready to come over here tonight, and I thought, you know, I'm going to let God speak through me because that's usually how I do um, the best that I can do is letting, letting my serenity come, and then, you know, my higher power works through me. So um, I'll go through the experience, strength, and hope. Um, and the experience that I had was that I probably was a compulsive overeater from the second I was conceived. Um, but for me, the disease didn't manifest itself on my body for a really long time because I'm very active. And um, I, you know, one of my nicknames when I was a kid was Spunky. And I'm like, you know, I'm always moving around. And uh, so, but I know that I'm a compulsive overeater. And I, knew, and I know that I was one when I was young because I have memories of uh, climbing up onto the, um, the, the counters in my mom's kitchen and getting the oatmeal, um, you know, canister and, and stuffing my face with oatmeal. And dry oatmeal is not a really exciting kind of sexy meal, you know. But it fills your belly. And uh, I think I had a hole in my soul way back. Um, My sister, who is a member also, and I uh, did (laughs) what I like to think of as second story jobs. You know, I was the kid who... um, who uh, was able to climb. So I would climb up onto the counters, and the money jar was on top of the refrigerator. So my sister would be standing on the floor exhorting me while I was up on the counter with my hand in the money jar, and that's when my mom walked in. And she punished my sister because my sister looked like a compulsive overeater, and I didn't. But I was a compulsive overeater, and, um, you know, there was a lot of focus on weight because there's five sisters, and, you know, some of us, uh, you know, we started developing, and, you know, it's all about weight, food, weight, and body, the three biggies. Um, And I had all sorts of jealousies that other people could eat more than me. You know, I would say, why does so-and-so get a bigger bowl of X? Or they got three pieces of that, and I only got two and a half. I mean, it was a lot of concentration on food. Um, And my disease, another experience I had was I ate no matter what it was about. I ate when I was happy. I ate when I was sad, I ate when I was angry, I ate when I was bored, I ate anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Didn't matter. 
And uh, just for those who are um, listening, I am in the full-fledged menopausal state, so I'm sweating up here. And if I uh, am turning red, it's because I'm having a hot flash. Um, So you can go through menopause and be abstinent, okay? Uh, That's for posterity. Um, So, you know, I'm a hardcore compulsive overeater. Um, And it didn't just affect my body. The disease affected me and the way I looked at life. And that is one of the biggest things for me. I mean, not, I mean, I, I have, I, I am very uh, particular about the way my body looks. But the way my mind works now is different than it did then. And, and some of the examples that I have are when I was, before I came into OA, I was really a negative person. I saw things. It was always the bad side of the coin. I always looked at things negatively. The glass was always half half empty. I couldn't see it as half full. And that was a really crappy way to be. I mean, it's a crappy life when you're always thinking about crappy things. And, um, <laughs> you know, so... What I guess I'm talking about is that the disease for me was, it was physical, and it was mental, and it was spiritual. And um, I I had a friend ask me to come to a meeting, and I didn't remember that it was an OA meeting until I until years into the, the program. But anyway, about when I was about 18 or 19, I had gone into the Air Force, and I gained probably 40 pounds from the beginning of basic training to the end of basic training. And when I got out of basic training, they gave me the uniform they had fitted me for at the beginning of basic training, and that's three months. It was three months basic training. The uniform didn't fit me, and uh, that was really scary because um, it was my uniform. I had to fit into it. And that's when panic struck me because I had to lose weight. And you know what that's like when you have to get into the wedding dress in one day (laughs) or you've got to get into the, you know, the suit for the job that's starting tomorrow and it doesn't fit and you're just flipping out. And that's what my life was like. Everything had to do with whether the pants, the skirt, the shirt, the whatever, fit or not. My life was completely governed by the, the clothes. Anyway, so I got out of the Air Force and I had gained at least 40 pounds. Um, and my friend asked me to go to this meeting. And I didn't know what it was. I thought I was doing it for her because she was fat. Um, I didn't consider myself fat, but I was fat. Um, anyway, we went to this place, and it was a church, and it was the, the cellar of the church. They don't have cellars out here in California, but back east they've got cellars. So they're dark, and they're dim, and they're a little, you know, kind of cool and damp. And I went into that room, and there was a table, 
and these ladies that were older than me were sitting around that table and they were talking about G-O-D. <laughs> and we're talking, I was spiritually bankrupt at the time and I wasn't having any of that crap. So I, sat, I stayed there for my friend and I left and I said, these people are a bunch of freaks and they're talking about God, and I'm getting out of here. I don't need this crap. I can lose weight by myself. So I did. And I went through ten years of up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down for ten years. I went through binging and then white-knuckling the control and I, I always knew when I had the control that it was going to be lost for some inexplicable reason that the food switch would snap on and I would be, what I, what I say is, off to the races. <clears throat> and it, I, could, I knew, I knew every day that I woke up and I was able to control it that I didn't know that whether that day was going to be the day when the switch flipped and I was just mowing food down. So anyway, um, you know, 10 years of that, and when I was 30, um, I had a friend who, who uh, and I had gone through, you know, college, and I binged my way through college, and I did a lot of drugs and did all sorts of crazy stuff and was really negative. And we're talking getting negative and worse the negativity and the bad brain activity got worse and worse and worse as I got older. Um, <clears throat> and the other things that I did when I was in my disease, and I call my disease the compulsive overeating and disrespecting basically anybody that came within, well, I'd say about, well, right up to here. <laughs> Very close to me. I disrespected everybody, including myself. Um, so when I was, you know, I went through law school, I, I did it all binging and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And by, by the way, I tried to become a bulimic, but I just couldn't do it. And boy, did that disappoint me. I wanted to lose that weight. Actually, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to binge the way I wanted to binge and then get rid of it. I didn't want to have to take responsibility for what I ate. Um, but I couldn't do it. Some, you know. Anyway, um, I got out of law school and I met this woman who was in AA. And I was binging and doing all sorts of crazy stuff at the time. And she and I were hanging out together. And she uh, was in AA. And I started thinking about how her life was pretty normal. And she had a pretty great time of getting along. And she seemed to have friends. I didn't have many friends, and she was pretty much it. Um, and she seemed to be getting along in life, and she took me to an AA meeting, and I was kind of jealous of her. Like, I was thinking, I really wish I were an alcoholic, because then if I were, I could go to those really great meetings where they seemed to be kind of happy, and they seemed to know how to do life. Like, you know, I was floundering or flopping around on the deck like a big fish, so she one day said to me, you know, would you like to go to an OA meeting? And I said, yeah, 
I you know, I'll go. And, and again, I thought it was for her. I really thought she wanted to go. So I went with her, and we sat there, and this was in San Diego. And at the time, it was a lot like the room here, which is, it was actually a longer hall, but they had, you know, huge, you're up at a podium, and big, huge, long room with a lot of people and a lot of chairs. And we sat sort of near the back. And in that meeting, which was my second OA meeting, I knew that I I knew that this was where I needed to be. And I was like, I was so happy, and I was so frightened, and I was so desperate, and I was so scared, and I thought, I've got to have everything they know, and i got to have it now. You know, because I was so empty, and I was so scared. Um, at the time, I was swimming about two miles a day, and I was still gaining weight. And so, you know, my binges were like massive binges, and I was doing it every single night. I was binging every night when I got home from work. And they were really big, they were 40 and $50, and this was 20, almost 22 years ago. These were really huge binges. And... I just could not stop eating, and I, and I was, like, I was a lunatic. Um, I was, you know, the way that I used to drive, um, when I was binging, I would be really threatening to other people in my car. I mean, I was yelling and screaming at people, and I was in a complete rage most of the time. But anyway, so I, I knew that I needed to... Um, have everything that they had that day and I wanted it injected quickly <laughs> and the lady there was a lady and I I don't remember if she was the speaker but she must have she must have just realized as a newcomer and she said keep coming back and I, I you know I knew I had to keep coming back and so you know I started coming and I started getting that attitude, you know, the crappy attitude, which I didn't start getting it. I had it. <laughs> and, um, but, the, but the lucky thing for me is that I kept coming back. And, and part of the, um, the disease for me was that when I came into the meetings back early on, and this, this lasted for a long time, People would be, they would be smiling and they would be talking like they were happy. And I would think, I would say to myself, yeah, right. They're happy. I bet, you know. <laughs> like, I didn't believe you could be happy. I did not believe it. Um, so I thought they were faking. But I just kept coming back. And I, um, I was willing to get a sponsor. And I got a sponsor, and I did the steps with her. Um, and I just kept coming back no matter what. Um, I gave up sugar. Uh, in the first six months, I gave up sugar. And then I went home to New Jersey, and my sister's a pastry chef. <laughs> and, you know, they talk about benders for alcoholics. Well, I went on a bender when I got back to New Jersey. And I stayed on that bender. I started at 
you know, this was November, so it was Thanksgiving time. She had made all sorts of stuff. And I started my binge on sugar there, and I came back to California, and I kept going to meetings, but I was binging like crazy. And I binged for about four months until I was willing to give up the sugar again. And so I gave up the sugar probably 1986. And I've been pretty abstinent. I'd say probably 99% abstinent from sugar since 1986. And it's miraculous because it's, it's a substance that I have not had many cravings for. Like, who, um, they say that, you know, you, you will sort of like, it, it won't affect you. Well, that's the way I am with sugar. And then I um, realized that there were certain other foods that, you know, I twist my head around like what the, in that movie, you know, the late the girl that gets possessed by the devil. Well, yeah, that's kind of the way I am, you know, with other type of foods. So I had to give them up. And uh, so it's been a journey of of having people teach me how to live life. And Overeaters Anonymous the experience, the strength. Here's the strength. Overeaters Anonymous is the best thing that has happened in my life. And I say that a lot. And what I find truly amazing is that sometimes it's newcomers that raise their hand that say exactly what I need to hear. It's the funniest thing. But I have learned how to live life through the people that are looking at me today and through all the other people that I've seen in meetings, whether it's a big meeting, whether it's a small meeting, whether it's a man, whether it's a woman, whether it's whatever, whether it's somebody that, you know, like, this doesn't happen as much anymore, but I used to go to meetings and I'd think, oh, no, not him. He's not going to share, is he? You know, and I think, okay, Olivia, calm down. Okay, God God speaks through other people. And then I would listen, no matter, because, and I did not want to listen. It was either a woman or a man. I would, And then, you know, principles before personalities. So I thought, okay, principles before personalities. All right, let's listen to what they say, and maybe God's trying to talk through them. I don't know, maybe... A lot of times that person that I just did not want to listen to said exactly what I needed to hear. And, you know, that's part of life's lessons, too. Um, hmm. Strength. What have I done through OA? Well, some of the things that I've been able to do because of my my membership in this program, what do they say? We um, the only desire for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. I've always had that. I've always wanted to stop eating compulsively, and 
Um, you know, part of it is the character defect of pride. Well, part of what drives me to have that desire to stop eating compulsively is that character defect of pride because I don't want to look bad. So I look at that character defect and I say, okay, what side of that coin do I want to look at? Do I want to look at the side that is a negative side or do I want to look at that side as the positive side? Um, so I've, um, I've kept coming back sometimes because of pride, and I don't mind that. I heard a lady speak one time in a meeting um, that she came back for a long time because she had told her friends she was in program and she couldn't quit because that would mean that she was a quitter. And she got it, you know, like, it's, I just think life is very strange and God works in very strange ways. So I told you I went to law school and um, I got out of law school and I wasn't in OA yet. And I got a series of very bad jobs. And um, it took me a while to pass the bar exam. And, and uh, I had an experience before I got into OA, but I really think that this man who came into my life in law school was one of the angels that God sent to me. Because he saw me one day, and this was before I took the bar exam that I passed. He told me that I had a really bad attitude, and he said, what's keeping you out of what you want to do is your attitude. And if it had been anybody else that said that to me, I would have told them to go F themselves. But I knew this man was, was telling me the truth. I trusted him, and he was a really good man. And About a week and a half later, I got it. I went to my second OA meeting, and it was a series of events that happened that made me realize, okay, you know, I got to do this again, and I got to take this again. And sure enough, I passed. And then I actually got a job practicing law. And for me to do that, what it took for me to go to that job every day was that when I got in my car. I was living in San Diego at the time, and it, the job was in Rancho Bernardo, which is like 40 minutes up the freeway. From the minute I got in my car to the minute I parked my car, I prayed every minute of the way up there. And what I had to pray was, please let me be willing to make a mistake. Because I could not go to that job. I couldn't go to the job trying to be perfect. Because if I did, I would have binged. I would have been crazier than a bed bug. So I had to be willing to give work to somebody else for them to correct it and make red marks on my paper. And that was so hard for me to have somebody critique what I was doing. You know, I could barely stand when my dad would tell me how to pack the dishwasher. But I had to go to that job and have those people teach me how to practice law. And that's what I did. And it was only because of this program that I was able to do that. Um, 
And a lot of the principles that I've learned in these rooms have helped me through all of the things that go on in my life, not just my food. It relates to how I approached my attitude about that job. Um, And over the years, my attitude about life has changed. Like I, I sometimes say that before OA, you know, nothing was good enough. The sun wasn't hot enough. The air wasn't clean enough. It didn't have enough oxygen for me. It was like anything that I could complain about, I did. And because of OA, over time, my attitude has changed. I've been given the willingness to look at, you know, okay, I have a dark cloud, but what is that silver lining? Like, why am I being given this? Um, so some of the lessons that I've learned, and this is really where my relationship with my, my uh, higher power comes in, because for a really long time, it took me a long time to have a relationship with a power greater than myself that, I've, that I really like. Um, maybe it's that I'm a, a stubborn person and I don't learn fast. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. But here's two examples. In 1991, and this was, what, six or seven years after I got into the program, I thought that I was really, really slick and really cool in a way, Okay. And I thought, okay, well, what I want now, I checked the list, and I said, okay, I want a relationship, okay? And that's when the trouble started. (laughs) Okay, God, serve it up, please, okay? And God wasn't doing it fast enough for me. So I went out and did it for myself. And, uh, you know, I didn't ask anybody what they thought. And when I did sort of broach the subject, they told me, you know, you better watch out. And I said, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. This is what God wants from me because this is what I want. Okay? And you can, t- you can tell that the brick wall is coming up on me. So I was in that relationship, and I started going to less meetings, and I started, uh, you know, putting on a little weight, and pretty soon the person said, you're not the one for me, and I'm leaving. And that's when I knew that God had done me a great, terrible injustice, and I told God exactly what I thought of God, and I said, you know, F yourself, and, you know, I did all sorts of... I like to think of it as like the little kid on the kitchen floor. You know, the Buster Browns are smacking that floor and the kid's having a big, huge hissy fit. And that's exactly what I did. I had a hissy fit for about two years. And I came to meetings maybe once every couple of weeks and I'd listen to the BS that you guys were talking about. And I would blah, 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 you bunch of morons. And then I probably gained... 35 to 40 pounds having it my way and so I went back again into full like full OA mode like lots of meetings and um, I uh, I started coming back in a serious way and um, so let me tell you the next time I get into another relationship and I think, okay, God, this is the one that you want for me. I can tell, you know, it's stable, it's good, it's, 
this, it's that. I, you know, I was doing, I was being an adult. Um, and, you know, five and a half years later, I get the, I'm leaving you again, okay? And this time I do it differently. I talked to my sponsor about it. I stayed in touch with the program. I kept going to meetings. I kept talking about it. I kept doing the things I got told to do. And I kept talking to God about it. And I said, I remember the day. I, was, I went through a walk every day. And that's part of my spiritual experiences. I walk or I, ch- I shamble is what I like to call it. I sort of do like a shambling. And... Um, I was, and I had this hill and this route that I did, and I, every time I got to that hill, I'd really start moving. And I said, okay, God, you know what? I have no idea what you want for me. I don't even, I don't know if you want me in this relationship, but if that's where you want me to be, I'm going to be there. And if you don't want me in that relationship, then you're going to have to do something to show me that I'm not supposed to be in it. And she left. She left me. And I thought, okay, that's the answer. She left. And I didn't overeat about it. I didn't lose my job about it. I didn't have a, you know, like I didn't have to be checked into a hospital. What I did about it was I talked at meetings about it. I talked to my sponsor on a daily basis. I kept doing my spiritual stuff of going on my walks, praying, meditating, going to meetings. I mean, it was it was a process. And that was uh, about eight years ago, I think, seven years ago. And right now, God has put somebody in my life that is better than I could have imagined for myself. You know, like, this is not what I would have ordered up on the a la carte menu. I just would not have. And what it really means to me is that, you know, I've said this before, God's infinite wisdom is so much better than my finite imagination. It's just the way it is. It's like there's nothing I can think of that is better than what God can give to me. So I just got to wait. And the waiting is what really is hard and it's not like I don't get angry I say okay pal you better give it up to me because I gotta have it now and then I gotta wait a little bit longer but you know the relationship that I'm in now is wonderful and I have all sorts of stuff happening in it um and I have, you know, I have a life that is full. I've got law partners that I, I never thought I'd have partners. I mean, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty hard to get along with in business because I want it my way. Um, these guys are wonderful, and I'm learning how to be a partner, like, you know, a partner. Um, coming from where I come from, which is, I didn't care what you thought. I wasn't, I was not a uh, person who respected relationships. And this was 25 years ago, okay? I'm talking about me 25 years ago. I cheated on partners. I didn't care which end of that triangle I was on. I was on all three sides of it. Um, 
And that is me 25 years ago, but that part of me stayed with me for a really long time. And now I know that I am not that person. I am a person who has integrity. I respect relationships. Um, and I wanted to give some extra time for, uh, so I put my little alarm on. A couple of the things that I'm incredibly grateful for, and I say this a lot, I think, is that I am so grateful that Bill W. went to Akron, and he went with the roll of nickels to the telephone booth and not into that bar. Because if he hadn't done that, I would be fat, I would be really angry, and, you know, it, it's not an exaggeration for me to say that I could be in jail because I have a really bad temper. And I have done things in my temper way back that are really not good. And so I know that if that man hadn't met Dr. Bob, I that part of me is like a thousand percent better than it was 20 years ago. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. I'm really grateful for the sponsor that I have now. She is teaching me so much. She's really patient with me. Um, I got this new sponsor about seven or eight or nine months ago, and we talk uh, almost every day. We read the big book. I go to three meetings a week. I share, I do service. Um, I've actually, for the first time in program, kind of like been willing to make outreach calls. That's miraculous. Uh, you know, for, for a long time I thought, I don't want to share that I don't make them because I don't want anybody to know that I don't make them. But you know what, I think a lot of people out there probably don't make them because they, they're just like me. I There's something about the phone. There's something about, like, you know, you, it just, I've never liked the phone. But anyway, I'm really grateful for my sponsor. I'm grateful for the people that call me. I have a wonderful sponsee. She's learning a lot. I'm really grateful to be of service to her. And um, I'm really glad that there's literature. And one thing else is that um, Dr. Bob writes at the last page of his, um, his uh, you know, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, that he does service because it's out of a sense of duty, because he gets pleasure out of it, because he wanted to give back what he got from Bill W., and because it gives him insurance against that next time. And those four reasons are, are the reasons that I do service, too. Um, and so... You know, I hope somebody got something out of this. I hope if you're listening on that, uh, whatever it is that John is um, taping for, <laughs> keep coming back no matter what, no matter whether you're binging, no matter whether you're purging, no matter what it is, all you got to do is sit here because the miracle will happen if you're willing to do the work for it. So just keep showing up, and uh, thank you very much for allowing me to be of service. <laughs> Questions? Yes. How many examiners are possible that you're doing it?
evolve over time. Yeah, uh, Anne asked, how is, my, how is my abstinence in the beginning and how has it evolved now? Is that what it was? Okay. Um, at the beginning, um, my abstinence was pretty rigid because I was so, uh, I was so sick. I really needed very defined parameters for my abstinence. Um, and at the time, they had gray sheet when I came in, and um, it was it was very structured, which is what I needed because I had to have something very <coughs> definitive. Because I'm one of those kind of people that if you give me an inch, I'm going to take a mile. So I would sneak and I would push the limits. So I had a very strict uh, food plan. Now what it is is I know. Mm, I know the foods that will make me uh, do strange things, so I am abstinent from those. Um, and that means that I never have them. I haven't had chips probably for 18 years. You know, Mexican restaurants, I don't put my hand out to that basket ever. At parties, I never pick up that yellow thing that looks like a little wave. Never. Because I know that there are, is not one of those babies. It's a million for me. And it'll be days on end. So, but what I do now is I eat three meals, a, three moderate meals a day. Very rarely do I have a snack because I can get from breakfast to lunch and lunch to dinner. I can, and uh, that's what I do. And then I try to have some exercise, uh, and no sugar and no chips and uh, no salad dressing. That's what it is now. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. You mentioned that you have high GG and high GG. You mentioned the waiting time, how that's hard to wait. Are there any actions that the question was, during those waiting periods when I'm, I've asked God, you know, what, what his will is for me and, uh, you know, is there, is there something that I do while I wait and, um, I think that what I've done in the past is service. I've really tried to reach out and, and just be of service, um, whether it's saying hello to a newcomer at a meeting or um, making a call or, you know, deciding to sponsor somebody call, you know, else or um, just showing up at a meeting. You know, just showing up at a meeting is service because it allows the meeting to go forward. And, um, you know, I had something happen today, and, and this sort of relates to that. My, I took my dog in, and I've had my dog for 12 years, and uh, the doctor told me that she had a mass. And so the doctor said, well, we're going to have to have her for a couple of hours because we need to take x-rays of her. And, you know, miraculously, my friend was with me. He's the one that walks her every day. 
So I, I said, okay, you know, I got to do something. So for some reason, I started thinking about 7-Eleven and, like, real fast food. Like, not fast food. 7-Eleven type stores were my kind of place. I wasn't a fast food type person. I was the person who went to 7-Eleven and picked up those seven candy bars, okay? And I plow them down. And my mind went to junk food like that today. And I thought, man, this is really interesting. I have this very scary thing happening with my dog who I love. And my mind is like, it was at the back of my mind just sort of tapping on the window. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to see what what's the matter with my dog. I want to know what's the matter with my dog, and I'm scared about my dog. So f- somehow I got through and didn't take that the thought came, but the action didn't follow. And I think sometimes it's a matter of how like years of practice of just doing it over and over. Um, And that's all the time that I have, and so thank you for allowing me to be of service.